Stu Does America. I'm going to have to level with you here and admit something. Confessional time here on Stu Does America. I'm getting to the point with Beto O'Rourke. Like Cuomo level hatred. That is, I, I, it is rising every single day. This guy sucks. I hate him in every way. He is human scum. Just letting, letting you know right off the bat. That's, I, if you listen to the radio show today, I almost just dropped an F-bomb in the middle of the show talking about Beto. That's, that's where I am with this guy. He's, he drives me absolutely insane. He is like the epitome of the worst thing our society can produce. That is Beto O'Rourke. And of course he's the nominee for governor in the state. Of course he is. Of course he is. I can't wait to watch him lose. But it's going to be a fun few months until that actually happens. And of course, until then, he will do what he has done until every every single second since he uh, came into the limelight a few years ago, which is try to get attention for himself at any cost. At any point, no matter what the cost is, no matter who he is hurting, no matter how much he is lying, he will focus on getting control of your attention and have your eyeballs pointed at him because that's what he loves. He loves power. He loves money. He loves attention. Oh, my God, he craves it. We showed you the clip yesterday of him interrupting the press conference and, you know, just trying to build his campaign on the backs of 19 dead children. That's that's 100% what he was doing. Uh, at some point, they had a meeting beforehand, and they were like, "Hey, how how can we get higher in the polls and get some donations on the backs of these children?" I know we'll go down there and we'll make a spectacle of a press conference while families are grieving. Won't that be fun? We'll get into that in a second. Of course, he did this as well. Governor Abbott, if you have any decency, you will immediately withdraw from this weekend's NRA convention and urge them to hold it anywhere but Texas. What the the hell would that accomplish exactly? Moving an event from Houston, uh, an event, by the way, that does not encourage violence against children. As we all know, this idiotic NRA obsession that the left has and mainly and we'll get into why they have it. But it's just mainly laziness. You know, it's 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 just laziness more than anything else. Now, before we do that, however, I do need to highlight this report from CBS. We talked about the Beto uh, situation where he interrupted the press conference and tried to get attention for himself. And we talked about how this would have needed to be planned in advance and all of this stuff. It's not like he was sitting there the entire time. Obviously, people would have noticed him sitting there. He's running for governor of the state. Uh, well, he was eventually escorted out of the room, and then all the reporters, of course, dutifully gathered around him to hear all of his important points. And one of the important points he made was this was just, it just happened. I mean, I just got so upset at that press conference that I just absolutely had to speak out. And that's that's not a lie. Certainly not 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 me covering for trying to get attention uh, after a tragedy. That's the truth. Well, here's the report from CBS who watched the whole thing happen. Listen to this. I did see what happened just before the press conference started. I was in the third uh, third aisle, um, third row on the aisle, rather, and there were two people across the aisle from me, and a moment before the press conference started, they got up from their seats when Beto walked in. So they were 
seat holders for him. Oh. And then he sat down. So his presence wasn't really noticed in the 15 or 20 minutes that people were gathering inside because he was not in the room. So this seems something very clearly staged by Beto O'Rourke and his campaign wanting to confront the governor at this moment. Right, Robert Francis, right? Obviously, clearly staged. He put seat holders there. And I want you to think about exactly how that went down. That two people went in there and grabbed seats so they could hold them so that Beto could exploit the deaths of 19 children and two teachers for his own benefit and fundraising. And then, I don't know, maybe they were on the phone and they got a little text, Beto's walking down the aisle, it's time for you to get up. And then they got up in a coordinated fashion and then this douche did his douchery. This man sucks. That's not what this monologue is about, though. And now I'm already five minutes into it. Um, Bernie Sanders, you might say to yourself, hey, you can't just pick on Beto because he's the dumbest Democrat. Like you found the dumbest Democrat in the world and you're picking on him with his terrible points about the NRA. And that's a fair criticism. But of course, everybody's making it. Bernie's saying it. Enough is enough. We must abolish the filibuster and pass gun safety legislation now. Not in America. It is an AR-15. How many of our children, mothers and fathers need to be murdered in cold blood before the Senate has the guts to ban assault weapons and take on the NRA? Is there anything this guy doesn't want to remove the filibuster? over. I want ham sandwiches. Abolish the filibuster. That's all this guy wants to do every single day. Um, This is a completely ridiculous narrative from the left. And it's been ridiculous forever, but it's even more ridiculous now. This idea that the reason we don't solve this problem, which is so easy to solve, wiping out the one elementary school shooting every 10 years is obviously super easy to do, and everyone knows how to do it. It's, of course, shockingly vote for Democrats and endorse all of their bills, and then this would all be solved until it was and then you needed to vote for more Democrats. We really need to do a circle of grift on on this because it completely applies here when it comes to the left. And this is what they're doing, right? They're saying it's the NRA and the, the gun lobby. President Biden said it the other day as well. It's the gun lobby who gets in the way. And these restrictions would solve this problem. But the left doesn't, the right doesn't want to solve the problem. They'd rather just kowtow to the NRA's whims. I want to dive into this a little bit because it's completely wrong in every way. And I want to start with someone on the left pointing this out because this is a big factor. The argument has never been true, but at the same time, the argument has never been less true. Okay. The NRA is an organization that has done a lot of good things for uh, Second Amendment rights over the years. We've had many other people on the radio show. We like them. Okay, they're one of several gun organizations that we like and support, generally speaking, around here at the Blaze. That being said, they're in they're in the middle of a tough time. They've had a lot of issues at the NRA. And this is not the the time where the NRA is the strongest they've ever been. Uh, This is from Mike Spies. He points out it's not 2013. The Republican Party is no longer beholden to the NRA. It does not need to stand up to the gun lobby. The NRA hasn't made significant election outlays since 2016 and won't be able to again for some time. It's still mired in a costly lawsuit with the 
New York AG. Its longtime PR firm, which served as the voice of the organization and devised Wayne Pierre's persona, is long gone. Its most effective spokespeople are long gone. Its most effective leader, Chris Cox, is long gone. Cox's team is gone. Oliver North is long gone. At this stage, any decision the GOP makes is its own. Now, that kind of highlights the difference between past years and where we are now. It doesn't really address the fact that the entire argument is silly on its face. So let's look into, into that uh, just a little bit. The NRA has, group, has their own funding and they have outside groups that they work with to put money into elections. And they do uh, spend more than any other gun group does when it comes to elections. Let me take, again, a left-wing, a left-wing source here to highlight exactly how much they spent. This is in 2020. The NRA spent $28.5 million on all elections inside and outside the organization, uh, the, the super PACs, the outside spending groups, and uh, direct funding, $28.5 million. Now, every town USA and other anti-gun groups spent $21.6 million. So you see there about a $7 million difference. As they point out at thetrace.com, the NRA spent 19% more than gun reform groups uh, so far. That, oh, that was the end of the year number. So $7 million. Now you think about that and you're saying, okay, $7 million, that difference is a lot. $28 million overall. It's a lot of money. Maybe the GOP really does kowtow to the NRA. They see all this money coming in. They have all this influence. This is what you're supposed to believe. You probably don't believe it because you're smart, but this is what you're supposed to believe. This is what every other post on Instagram says. This is what every politician on the left says this is what every Pinterest post probably says as well. However, we should probably note that that is a an absolute pittance when it comes to our election process. Twenty eight point five million dollars and a seven million dollar advantage on gun spending is basically nothing. OK, the Democrats far outspent the GOP in 2020, uh, 8.4 billion compared to only 5.3 billion for Republicans. So Democrats outspent Republicans by over three billion dollars. Yes, the NRA had a seven million dollar advantage over uh, anti-gun groups. Does that even make a dent into what we're talking about here? In fact, the 2020 election was the most expensive election in history. Over $14 billion were spent. And these people want you to believe that they, the GOP is making decisions because of $28 million in funding or a $7 million advantage on gun issues. Could anyone that understood the information possibly believe that case? It is the dumbest thing anyone could ever consider, yet it is the main argument being made post uh, the Texas shooting the other day. And it's the same argument being made every single time someone uses a gun to do something bad. It is not what is going on and is not actually real. And, you know, the problem with all of this is they actually know in the media that this isn't real. They might not put all the pieces together. 
but they actually know it. And I want to give you an example of this. This is from the Washington Post, uh, their flagship podcast. And they do a story every day. It's about 20 minutes. And they cover some big story of the day talking to one or two of their reporters. And yesterday was the story about, of course, the shooting. And so they talked to a guy who has one of their main reporters who's been covering uh, shootings, uh, school shootings largely, uh, since for the last like five years. He's like their main guy put together the database you've probably seen. This is this is his description of what's going on. And he tries to blame the NRA. But I want you to listen closely to his actual argument here. Listen. So, you know, there were a few things that they pushed hard for in the aftermath of Sandy Hook. And one of the primary things was universal background checks. That is always the policy that comes up first. And that's in part because Americans overwhelmingly support it. The polls consistently show that 90% plus of Americans support universal background checks. Mm. And that includes a majority of gun owners that they support universal background checks. Mm. That is a thing that you know, the Senate won't even take a vote on. Mm -hmm. You know, what so much of this ultimately comes down to is is the influence of the gun lobby. Uh, It is the influence of gun manufacturers who do have considerable sway over some number of senators, especially in conservative areas. Why? You know, they don't want to be labeled as gun grabbers. Mm. They don't want to be labeled as anti-gun. Okay, that's interesting. Let's unpack that a little bit, shall we? Universal background checks is the first thing that is always brought up. Of course, that's a dumb thing to bring up in this case because the shooter had a background check. So universal background checks would not have made him more background checked than he already is. He got went through the background check process and bought the guns anyway. So the background check thing would do absolutely nothing whatsoever to deal with this particular issue. But yes, some polls do show that about 90% of people support these universal background checks. Why do they show that? Well, people don't understand that almost every gun purchase already goes through a background check. Most people don't buy guns, uh, so they don't know how that process works. And so, yes, there is a very tiny amount of gun purchases who go around this process. But as far as I know, none of them have ever been used in a mass shooting at a school. Literally never occurred. So the universal background check rule is silly. It does nothing to solve this problem and would do absolutely nothing in this particular incident. Um, And then he goes into, and this is what's really important to understand. The influence of the gun lobby is is the problem, they say. The influence of the gun lobby. Fascinating. Well, as he goes on, and I'm gonna give you the quote, Ultimately, it comes down to the influence of the gun lobby. It's the influence of gun manufacturers have considerable sway over senators. And they don't want to be labeled as gun grabbers. They don't want to be labeled as anti-gun. Now, you just told me that 90%, these are overwhelmingly popular proposals. 90% of people support them. Even gun owners support them. So why would they be worried about being labeled anti-gun or gun grabbers? Because it's not the anti-gun people who are even making these arguments. The people on the left and the media who make these arguments don't even mean them. It's not the people in the gun lobby who are making this influence. It's the people behind them. 
It's the people they represent, millions and millions and millions of voters who are represented by the NRA. The reason why these senators go along uh, with uh, opposing these gun control rules outside of constitutional concerns and very often their own personal views is because they know their voters don't want them to do it. It's not because the NRA says that because they throw a few dollars here and there. It's because millions and millions and millions of people are standing behind those organizations. Millions of them are members of those organizations and millions more support the same ideas. That's where the influence is. That's where the influence is. Look, the truth is that the media swallows the leftist trope about the gun lobby hook, line and sinker. And they repeat it without an ounce of critical thought because they know it provides an easy, great narrative. It's a lazy way to tell the story. Oh, there's a shadowy cabal of money men in the back room, back there smoking their cigars, manipulating our politics because they want more money and more power. They are stopping all of these easy, common sense solutions that we all know would work because they prioritize themselves over the possibility of dead children at an elementary school. This is a disgusting, revolting lie. It's among the worst accusations in all of our politics. It's worse than being called a racist or a homophobe or a transphobe. You're saying we want dead kids to please a few guys at the head of a gun lobby? The truth is that the gun lobby is not powerful because it has money or even relationships with powerful people. It's powerful because it represents millions and millions of voters. Despite all the terrible press the NRA receives all the time, half of the country still likes them. Here's the poll. Uh, 18% find them very favorable. Another 30% find them mostly favorable. Overall, it's 48-49, split pretty much right down the middle on positive or negative feelings about the NRA. It's not the gun lobby. It's half the country standing behind them. Despite what the media is telling you, you know, that we all know these solutions to these problems. We all know that those solutions are, of course, gun control. Well, look at the polling on that. If new gun control laws were passed, do you think it would reduce the number of mass shootings in the U.S.? A great deal, a moderate amount, a little or not at all. The number one answer to that question is not at all. 42% say that. Another 16% say only a little. If you look at the positive and negative and summarize them, it's 58% say little to no effect, and only 41% say it would actually do much of anything. And if you know anything about this issue, which if you're on the left, you probably don't, but if you happen to do at least a little bit of your research, you probably know that these evil assault weapons account for a minuscule percentage of gun-related murders in this country. They don't want to get rid of AR-15s. They want to get rid of everything. Why do you think they're always talking about other countries that have essentially no privately owned firearms? Why do they idolize them so much? One difference between us and them is that we have a Second Amendment. To emulate these other countries, we'd have to get rid of the Second Amendment. And the reason the left doesn't say that 
is because they know how you feel about it. Let me give you a poll that is not about eliminating the Second Amendment completely. You could still have maybe a shotgun in this scenario, but just getting rid of handguns. Do you think there should be a law that would ban the possession of handguns except by the police and other authorized persons? Yes, there should be that law. 19 percent. No, there should not be that law. 80 percent. That's not the gun lobby speaking, guys. 80 percent of people do not want private ownership of just handguns to go away. 80 percent. The left and the media hate to admit it. But what is stopping them from implementing their Second Amendment violations dressed up as common sense reforms is not the gun lobby. It's the American people. This is a fascinating day because here I am, Stu does America, Stu Bergier, America's leading purveyor of Nancy Pelosi sucks pens. Yes, I mean, we've sold more Nancy Pelosi sucks pens then I think they sold PlayStation 5s. I mean, this is an incredibly hot item. The only thing that stopped these things from selling has been basically supply chain issues. It's been hard to keep them in stock. They're in stock now if you want to get yours at nancypelosisuckspen.com. But here's a day where Nancy Pelosi's husband was busted for DUI, and that should be what we're talking about today. I should be talking to you all day about Nancy Pelosi's husband, and his driving habits. But no, instead, we're here talking about guns once again. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do the show on Friday is because I'm really tired of seeing the same arguments brought up over and over again. You know, it's one thing to, uh, to bring up an argument that you believe is right, that you believe is powerful, that you believe, I don't know, can change the tone of the debate. But when you have no familiarity with the debate, it's easy to get stuck in these same old arguments over and over and over again. And you know, it's really left up to us, I guess, to make sure that these things are taken uh, and dispatched as soon as they pop up. But it gets boring. It gets boring to look up the same research over and over again. So that's what we're going to do this Friday. Bring you everything that you need to know about the gun debate. All these claims that have been floating around over the past week. We're going to show you the truth behind them. Again, that's Friday. Don't miss that program. Um, now, I will give you a quick update on what's going on as it relates to uh, the Texas shooting. A House panel has called for an emergency meeting to advance gun violence prevention bills. That's, that's the new terminology. It's no longer gun control. They don't want control of your guns. They just want to prevent gun violence, which, of course, is not true. And that's one of the things we'll get into on Friday's program. Mass shootings have renewed efforts to target gun manufacturers legal shield. This is sort of a standard trope that is brought up every single time. Uh, any of this stuff happens and they go after they, they try to make this into a, a big situation that they can't sue gun manufacturers. And it's just a weird argument. It always has been. I mean, I, you know, I, we've seen people drive over uh, people in, a, you know, in parades before and we don't sue the, gu- the car company for it. I, I mean, it, it's obviously not what the you know, Nissan intended but uh, for, with guns, it's totally different for some reason. Biden had a, a rough weekend, I will say. And, and when you say that about Joe Biden, it's really notable because all of his weekends have been rough. Like it, it's been a really, really bad presidency. And I don't say that as a person who disregard, you know, just disagrees with his policies, which, of course, I am that person. But 
objectively, this, is, this has been a disaster. You've got to admit it. I mean, if you're on the left, and I, and I will say I have friends on the left. I have friends on the left. I have friends in the middle who don't like, you know, don't like Trump or maybe uh, just liked Biden, thought he'd be a uniting figure in the middle. Everybody I talk to says the same thing. Look, I thought this was going to be a lot better than this. I, I didn't think he was going to be a hero, but I didn't think he'd be a complete catastrophe. And that's what he's been. Let me give you some highlights from his weekend. First of all, he pointed out that he wants a, uh, a assault weapons ban being a rational option for gun control. Now, look, if you, if you know the politics of the situation, this is the last thing he should be doing, right? He, you know, you might say, oh, well, I really want an assault weapons ban, and that's good for you. Uh, good luck with that. When Democrats have 60 seats again, you might very well get that. Uh, but right now they don't. They have no chance of passing that. They know they have no chance of passing it. And if they have a chance to do anything sensible, you're scaring people away. If you have a moderate Republican who might consider, I don't know, a red flag law or something like that, telling everybody that you're going to start banning specific weapons is going to scare away anybody in the middle who you might be able to work with. Of course, that's not the goal of, of Biden here. Biden is trying to, uh, I don't know what he's, you know, I got to stop saying that. I don't know that Biden even knows what he's trying to do at this point. He has these sort of standard things he brings up. He has in his memory banks somewhere jumbled up in a blender is a bunch of arguments about guns. And he presses blend and he pours out a little shot glass and he gives it to you every time. He doesn't know what's coming out of that blender, what combination of fruits and vegetables are involved. It's just something. And maybe clams are in there. Maybe there's a plastic fork or so in there. He has no idea what's in this uh, smoothie he's delivering your way, but this is what he does. He uh, came out with this one. He said it before. Uh, uh, He said when the Second Amendment was passed, you couldn't buy a cannon. And it's like, how many times could he possibly be told that this is not true? It's not true. You could buy a cannon. You can actually still buy cannons in the United States of America, but you could definitely do it back in the 1700s. It was not a big problem. People owned cannons. Now, there weren't a lot of attacks with cannons because there wasn't really a reason uh, to use them, but that is something you could do. And it doesn't matter how many times people tell him the history of this. He just keeps saying it. It's, he, it's as if he lives in this sort of like parallel hallway to everyone else, where everyone is having this conversation about what's going on in the real world. And Joe Biden is parallel enough that he can hear it's about guns, but doesn't know any of the facts on the situation. Perhaps he should watch on Friday. Listen on Friday. You can download the podcast and check it out. We'll give you all the facts on guns uh, then. He also decided to call nine millimeter high caliber weapons and he suggest, uh, suggested banning them. I want to give you this, this actual uh, audio here because you know, it really is remarkable. When I heard this, I assumed what he did there was mess up AR-15s and just say 9mm because he's an idiot and he rarely says the things that he's trying to say. But I think he actually meant 9mm here. You check it out. You tell me. 22 caliber bullets will lodge in a lung. And we can probably get it out, maybe able to get it, and save the life. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. Out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is just there's simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just remember the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. (sighs) I just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Now, I 
I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest gun guy in the world. I really believe in the Second Amendment. I know the arguments here. I know the legal history. We've talked about it for a long time on this show, on radio, going back a very long time. But I'm not like a gun enthusiast, per se. I'm not at the range every weekend. We have a lot of gun enthusiasts around here, though. People who have been in the military, people who have gun collections. I'm in Texas. I work with Glenn Beck. Like, we got a lot of people around us that know a lot about guns. And whenever I have gun questions, I have plenty of people to talk to about it. And it's funny because whenever I would bring up a 9mm, hey, you know, what do you think about a 9mm? It would almost be dismissed as, well, what are you getting that for? That's the, uh, you're underpowered with a 9mm. Like, it's not, it's not the main choice for, for somebody who wants to do tons and tons of damage. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, it could be used in a weapon that is, you know, uh, pretty easy to control, to, uh, it's pretty mobile, it's pretty uh, easy to conceal. Uh, a lot of the ladies seem to like it because it is not, you know, it's not some huge kickback. But I mean, all this being said here, it's never, it's not like, we're not talking about cannons here. This is not a bazooka. It's a nine millimeter. It's the most common uh, round to be used in handguns in the entire country. Now, he seems to be saying the same thing he says about AR-15s. There's no reason why you could possibly need this. Now you're saying this with the most common weapons in America? And of course, this is exactly what he's saying. Because behind all of the we love the Second Amendment, but we need common sense reform talk is the actual reality. And I want to bring you to a place where the actual reality of what the left wants is occurring. Let me bring you north of the border, home of America's team, the Toronto Blue Jays. Yes, Canada. Oh, Canada. We've seen Justin Trudeau, the benevolent dictator of the Republic of Canada, being put to the test over the past few months. He's had some bad things happen, and he's reacted exactly the way you'd expect him to react as a dictator. He is now changing what used to be a very culturally similar country to ours into some weird left-wing dictatorship where he gets to make all of the decisions. And it's really disturbing. He has decided to introduce legislation that everybody seems to expect will pass, that will freeze handgun ownership, buy back assault weapons, and so many other things. Let me give you a few of the details. Some of these you might say, oh, okay, I mean, it's Canada. It's not America. They don't have a Second Amendment in Canada. Um, maybe you can understand it. And it keeps escalating from there. Uh, first of all, they will take away the firearms licenses of those involved in acts of domestic violence or criminal, criminal harassment, such as stalking. Now, we even have rules like that here. Of course, I don't see the word convicted in his statement. Uh, involved in, does that mean the people who are victims of the crimes too? Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. Involved in is, is quite a wide scope. If you go down and, and drill down to being convicted of such crimes, uh, most of those would be crimes that would prevent you from owning a firearm or buying a new firearm here in the United States as well. Uh, then you have a fighting gun smuggling and trafficking by increasing criminal penalties, providing more tools for law enforcement to investigate firearms crimes and strengthening border security measures. This is the America sucks part of the bill. 
Uh, you've seen this argument coming from places like Washington, D.C. and Chicago, where they say, sure, we are the ones with all the gun crime and all the gun laws, but it's not our fault because people, you know, these uh, these gangbangers, these criminals, these people who are just, you know, they're out there committing crimes all over Chicago, and then they're driving to rural uh, I, uh, Illinois in a gun show, or maybe they're going over to Indiana and buying their weapons there and then coming back to Chicago, as if this has ever occurred, right? This is not how guns uh, wind up getting in the hands of criminals in Chicago. They're much likely, more likely to come across the border uh, than for them to go to a nice little wholesome gun shop in Indianapolis and purchase a weapon. That's just not something that occurs all that often, but this is how they blame uh, everybody else. Our gun laws aren't failing. It's just that other people's gun laws are failing. Well, Trudeau's using that with with America now. We're the big bad boys. We are committing all the crimes up there. We're the ones responsible for everything bad that happens in Canada. Um, uh, Addressing intimate partner violence, gender-based violence, and self-harm involving firearms by creating a new red flag law. You're going to be hearing a lot about this in the coming weeks. That would enable courts to require that individuals considered a danger to themselves or others surrender their firearms to law enforcement while protecting the safety of individuals applying to the red flag process, including by protecting their identity. Now, some conservatives like the red flag idea law. Uh, I, I think giving more government, uh, giving more power to the government at this point in this particular realm is a huge mistake, really in any way. Uh, you could see what they want to do with it. We just heard Joe Biden say he wanted to basically ban nine millimeter uh, ammunition. I mean, we're we're at the point here where there are major, major problems uh, with with what the government is wanting to do and doing. So giving them more power is a really bad idea. These laws tend to get abused in, in really bad ways. Of course, you have people who uh, f- red flag people that are not uh, any danger whatsoever. Uh, we have already seen people who where we have red flag laws such as the buffalo shooting from just a couple of weeks ago they have a red flag flag their law there in uh in new york should have been tripped was well, not i mean it's not really an effective tool it does make people people feel a little bit better and that's i would say the main argument for it uh you know if you really wanted to narrowly tailor it you could see some argument for it but i mean i'm just not willing to give them any ounce of power at this point. Uh, In addition, the government will invest $6.6 million to help uh, raise awareness of the new law, the red flag law, and provide supports to vulnerable and marginalized groups to navigate the provisions. Now, these are all sort of the typical stuff you'd expect, right? Sort of the stuff that you'd expect from the government here, Democrats here proposing. Goes a lot further than that, though. They're going to implement a national freeze on handguns to prevent individuals from bringing newly acquired handguns into Canada from bullying and selling and transferring handguns within the country. So you can't bring new handguns into the country. You can't buy new handguns in the country. You can't sell handguns in the country. You can't manufacture handguns in the country. And you can't transfer handguns in the country. What does that mean? That is a handgun ban. It's just a handgun ban that unfolds over time. There were some of the abolitionists back in the day when slavery was around, 
that this was their approach to getting rid of slavery. Ban the slave trade, ban uh, the transfer of slaves, ban the buying of slaves, ban the selling of slaves. Now, of course, you people with slaves can hold on to those slaves uh, because that's all they could get done at the time, or they were trying to propose a middle ground to get rid of slavery, essentially time it out. You see this uh, happen often at companies that are looking to cut staff. They say, hey, well, what we're going to do is we're going to wait for people to retire and then we're not going to replace those positions. So over time, you have fewer and fewer employees. This is the approach of Canada. They are creating a situation where you can't even pass your firearms to your children when you die. So therefore, those guns will just be illegal. They're also going to be doing uh, much more than that. Let me give uh, let me give you Trudeau explaining this law and some of the crazy crap that's inside of it. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. So brave. So brave. Let's clap a little bit. Where's your mask there, Justin? Why does everyone else have a mask and you don't? Good vigorous applause, guys. As a further part of this new legislation, we're also fighting gun smuggling and trafficking mm. by increasing maximum criminal penalties and providing more tools for law enforcement to investigate firearm crimes. Can you imagine and we'll require the permanent alteration of long gun magazines so they can never hold more than five rounds. Five rounds. These are actions that doctors, experts, and chiefs of police have been calling for for years and we're acting on their advice. So brave for a government to take away firearms from the people. What a, what a, a benevolent act, because this never turns out poorly. If you've seen what's happened in Canada, in Australia, and New Zealand, when it comes to just COVID, you see what happens when a government gets out of control, and of course now they're taking away the weapons from the government as well. Gee, this isn't a, a long-standing game plan, is it? This has happened over and over and over again. And you know what? Outside, of course, of America's team, the Toronto Blue Jays, I don't care about Canada at all. You want to go up there and ruin that, that wonderful land that's way too cold to really visit anyway? Go ahead. Do it. You don't have a Second Amendment. You have no protections there. You have nothing that will protect your rights to defend yourself in the country. And that's the case almost everywhere on Earth. They're really the only one that had anything close to a Second Amendment was Mexico, and even they've been fiddling with it and have pretty much dissolved it. The Americans are, are really the only place in the North America that have a Second Amendment, and really, really the only place around the globe that has it. And this is your future right here. This is what the Democrats want. This is their desire. What they want is what Justin Trudeau has the right to essentially take away your firearms. What he, what, that is just a firearm ban over a generation rather than it happening today. They're also going to buy back uh, tons of assault rifles, quote unquote, uh, and they're going to do all these things to get these weapons off of the streets. And you know what? Is it going to change uh, their, their uh, results? I doubt it. It doesn't seem to do much of anything anywhere. It's been tried. We'll definitely go through all of that. 
on Friday and make sure you know all of the research, all of the details. But it's important to understand what people like Joe Biden want. Joe Biden was just in front of you by his stupid helicopter there talking about the exact same policy that Justin Trudeau was implementing in Canada. He wants to get rid of the most common firearms in the country. There's no reason for you to own them. And this is what's coming. The, the, the concept that the left wants to just get rid of uh, assault weapons or uh, have a red flag law or just limit the capacity uh, of each um, of magazines, for example, all of that is just a silly distraction. It's a it's called progressivism. It's moving toward their actual end goal, which is to get rid of all guns. I'm happy to welcome back David Harsani to the program. He is the senior editor for The Federalist, as well as the author of Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent and First Freedom, a Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. David, thanks so much for coming on the program. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, I mean, look, there's competing programming with us tonight here as Joe Biden is going to make an incredible speech that I'm sure is going to be riveting. Uh, He's going to try to convince the American people that we need new, massive, stringent gun regulations. Uh, Do you have any idea what specifics we're expecting out of this thing tonight? Well, I'm expecting him to uh, say what he says every time. He's going to tell us that cannons weren't legal during the revolutionary era. He's going to tell us that we don't need, uh, you know, the deer don't wear Kevlar, so we don't need to shoot them. And then he's going to go into some nonspecific stuff. Or maybe he'll mention universal background checks, which is, of course, quite misleading. Um, banning assault weapons, which, again, is just an arbitrary term for for. Um, for sort of weapons that, that liberals don't like. And uh, and it won't move forward. I mean, I know there are a group of senators meeting right now, but if those are the issues that they're going to try to move forward on, I think that you're going to see a lot of pushback from from voters. Let's go to a couple of these specifics here, because you, you mentioned uh, you wrote I mean, you wrote an extensive history on the Second Amendment. Uh, you're the guy to talk to about this. Uh, cannons, we are told, Uh, could not be purchased at the time when they made this amendment. Joe Biden literally says it every time he talks about guns. It's like one of the most consistent claims he makes over and over and over again. He says this. Is there any truth to this? Uh, No. I mean, sometimes they didn't buy cannons. Sometimes they bought entire warships filled with cannons, like privateers, right? (laughs) Right. George Washington, I think, owned them. And uh, you could still buy a cannon. I can go out and buy a cannon today if I want to. Um, and certainly in those days, you can buy a cannon. It would have never have uh, it would have never have passed into the thoughts of any of the founders that a person couldn't have a cannon. In fact, they wanted you to have weapons that could protect you from the state. They wanted your weapons to match those of the state. Now we can't have nuclear weapons, but we can still uh, defend ourselves with with weapons that work that are modern that are in common use as Heller Heller talked about. And certainly, can- cannons were in fact quite legal. And to think that there could have been like a federal law to ban cannons is just, it's ridiculous, like many other things he says. Right, because this would have been really foreign to uh, our founders, who would have never even considered an idea for a federal firearms restriction of any type. I mean, we, we have nothing on the books in our history that shows a restriction in this era from the federal uh, government, do we? No, I mean, I 
know, I, I did it two years of research and I couldn't find a single uh, founder or any kind of state legislator or anything or anyone who said anything about limiting gun ownership in any way. In fact, many constitutions, a, n- a number of them had uh, even more uh, clear Second Amendments, you know what I mean? Like the right, individual right to bear arm. It wasn't bogged down in, in any kind of language. Um, so the, the idea that this is a collective right or that the founders didn't want us to have weapons or that the, or people are misreading the Second Amendment who believe it's an individual right, it's all just, there's n- just no history to back it up. Mm. Yeah, one of the uh, a lot of one of the arguments the left makes all the time on this is when they were talking about the, the Second Amendment back in the day, they were talking about muskets and their translation of that is essentially muskets couldn't do nearly as much damage as the, the weapons of today. And of course, that's accurate. But what's important about muskets and, and the way they thought about them was they were equivalent to the main weapon of war that the military used at the time. They wanted uh, essentially a balance between the people and the military. Am I thinking about that right? Yeah. I mean, muskets were the the, the weapon of, of the soldier and it was a weapon for hunting and so on. But, they're, they're, you know, obviously, and I'm sure you've heard this, you know, if they, they didn't mention muskets on purpose because they weren't idiots. They knew that technology existed. In <laughs> fact, in their era, there were guns that, you know, air guns and things like that that could shoot new, you know, almost like proto-automatic weapons. You know, they weren't stupid. And, uh, you know, again, the, the, the argument for that, of course, is that if, you know, if, if, we, if that's the kind of basis and, you know, Underst- basis for understanding we have about an amendment that we couldn't use the internet for free speech or even, you know, uh, television or anything like that. I mean, you know, rights, the right to a weapon wasn't about the weapon as much as it was the right to, to defend your family, your land from, from others, from the state. It wasn't about the weapon itself. The weapon is that what they knew was the way to defend it, but it wasn't about a specific kind of musket. I mean, they were building Kentucky rifles, which were which were much more accurate and dangerous than a regular musket, but they didn't mention it in the Constitution, obviously. So I don't think that argument holds water. Mm. Uh, they, one of the things they keep coming back, and the media does this all the time, they keep coming back to these proposals that the left will make on guns. And they're, of course, always presented as common sense measures. Everybody else in the world has them. 90 plus percent of the American people support them. Should we take anything? I mean, I, I, constitutional rights, whether they're popular or not, still exist. But should we take anything from these uh, these poll, these gaudy poll numbers that they're always trotting out? If something was common sense, you wouldn't have to actually preface by saying that it's common sense, right? So when people say common sense something, it's usually because it's not actually common sense. And uh, these polls are constantly misleading people by talking about universal background checks, which sort of is a push poll to say, you know that we don't have background checks for everyone. But essentially we do. Every gun dealer has to Go, you know, who, anyone who goes to a gun dealer has to, or, or, or an official gun seller has to go through a background check. Now, what they want to stop and make difficult is for you to give a gift to your brother or your friend, or me to give something to my son, you know, or, or, or something of that nature. They don't, you know, it's an irrelevant law or bill or idea because literally I can't think of a single one of these mass shooters who actually has evaded in some way the authorities or background checks to get their guns. It's essentially an irrelevant thing. It's just that people, Democrats like Chris Murphy, et cetera, they're interested in incrementalism and anything that moves them forward at all is something that they they will uh, 
you know, embrace. Yeah, it's, it's one of the interesting parts of this saga we've gone through over the years in which you'd almost think there'd be a, a, a tendency for them to reverse engineer the previous incident and say, okay, this is the thing that would have stopped that incident, so that's what we're going for. But that's really not what they do. They just trot out the same five or six things over and over and over again, even when there is absolutely no evidence that it would would have would have stopped the shooting. I mean, the Texas one is a great example in that their their solution to this shooting seems to be background checks when this person went through a background check. Yeah, I mean, because again, because I think that, and, and in the end, when you get into a debate with these people, by the end of the debate, they're saying we need to do what Australia did, you know, and mm. conf- they are against the gun. They don't think they can even comprehend that anyone thinks there should be guns in society. So for them, again, it's just incremental. And it's these are the things they think they can get away with. Um an AR-15 ban, you know, assault, assault rifles. Now, obviously, these these mass killers like to use that weapon. I think it's for aesthetics. I think it's because of they see them in video games or whatever it is. Um, those guns are semi-automatic rifles, as you know. So we're going to ban that gun because of aesthetics. I mean, if you're going to ban, if you allow them to ban that gun, the mechanism is essentially the same as it is in a handgun, in a nine millimeter, you know, automatic, a semi-automatic handgun. So once you do that, you're essentially allowing them to ban the next thing. Um, so they are not really looking for any solutions because if they were, then we would start. I think it needs to be more holistic. You know, you have to look at uh, why these young men typically are, 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 are acting in this way. Are there signs that we can intercede before they act this way? Or is there, you know, do we need more mental health? Do we need to lock down schools in better ways? Do we need to arm teachers? I know people don't like that idea, but I mean, these are more realistic than any of the gun control solutions that they've come up with. One of the things they- Or should say more effective and mean more, in, right. you know, if you first engineered these incidents. Right, right. Um, one of the things they, they, they talk about uh, all the time and they say, well, people on the right, are just you're not even considering these common sense measures because you just think, oh well, we you know if, we, if you give us an inch, we'll take a mile. First of all, yes, like that is uh, I, I will not I will not consider your your incremental steps because I believe you're going to take a mile. That's I, I'm guilty of that 100. percent But on top of that, one of the things that they're uh, they're proposing for this particular shooting, and we've seen a few of these recently, is the raising the age from 18 to 21 for for long guns. Uh, you know, Florida did this after. Parkland. Uh, we already have a 21-year uh, limit on handguns here in the country. What, how did the founders look at age limits? Because it does feel like, you know, you could see the left coming to a point where it goes to 21, and then it goes to 25, and then it goes to 29, and then it keeps going up and up and up and up. What did they, did they see this as a potential infringement on these rights? Well, I don't know is the answer to that. I think that the meaning of a an adult is very different today than it was in those days. You know, the, the, the very idea of a teenager only is a 20th century idea. You know, people were kids and then they went to work, right? There was no <laughs> real, you know, bridge year there where you got to hang out and listen to music. So um, I'm not sure. But I would say this. I mean, if we're going to start talking about what a child is and what an adult is and when rights matter and they don't, we have to come up with an age. And it's sort of arbitrary because people are different. I know that, you know, young women mature faster than young men, et cetera. But we have to come up with an age. And if you're going to say 21, then that's when you should be able to vote. And that's when you're, you you know, you're able to drink now. And Obamacare says you're a kid till you're 26. You know, I mean, it's like they want it both ways all the time. So um, I think we need to come up with an age. 
or states do, I guess. And I know the Constitution and voting, it's more difficult. But I mean, we have to come up with an age where we consider someone an adult and uh, go from there. I don't know what, how the founders would have looked at it. I think if they saw a 14-year-old with a musket, they'd probably be fine with it. But I'm not sure that that's going to work today. You know, I think it was you who actually made this point, and it made me think, if the left could change the age of guns to whatever number they wanted, but they had to move the voting age to the same number, I bet you they would lower it. I think they'd move it to 16 or 15 so they could get those votes and not worry at all about uh, about uh, the firearm age. Um, let me give you this last one here, David. Uh, tonight we have this we have this speech. Biden is making a big deal about it. And as you mentioned, there's really no chance for this to go anywhere, I don't think. Maybe there's something on the margins they'll get done. But I mean, very uh, unlikely. How much of this is just Joe Biden looking to grab onto something? Because he sees himself with a 34 percent approval rating. Uh, he sees inflation and all of these other problems as as basically there's nothing he can do about them. So why not grab onto an emotional issue and act like you're trying to do something to, at the very least, please your base? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I think they cynically, and I mean, Democrats in general use these shootings um, to dunk on Republicans rather than look for solutions. Most of the things that Joe Biden's probably going to talk about are not realistic. And he knows that and he doesn't really care very much. Actually, with Joe Biden, I'm not sure what he knows. Right. But I'm just <laughs> saying in general, Democrats uh, use it to dunk on Republicans. I mean, um, and they keep talking about the gun lobby, for instance, which is this cowardly way of not talking about voters. The gun lobby doesn't really even exist anymore. The NRA is not that powerful. It is voters. It's 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 gun owners who are who have who have more, you know who have in recent years bought more there are new more new gun owners perhaps in the last five years than have ever you know bought new guns in any sort of era in maybe even in 50 year slots right i mean so you have a huge gun ownership community out there 40 something percent of people have guns in their households and those are the people you have to deal with and they won't even do that joe biden today will mention the gun lobby, not gun owners. And I think that that just shows that they're not serious about it. Mm. David Arsani, uh, great coverage on all of this over the past week. Uh, senior head editor for The Federalist, author of Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent, and First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with Guns. David, great to see you. Thanks for coming back on the program. Thank you. Anytime. Yes, today we dive in deep to the ruling given by the Supreme Court, written by the OG, Clarence Thomas. Yes, it felt good. When I was going through and watching this, because this always happens on the radio show, hour two, it's when all the Supreme Court decisions come down and I got to read them kind of in real time. And the first impression you get from any uh, decision is, okay, here's the name of the decision. It's the big gun one. Who wrote it? Clarence Thomas. Ah. I didn't have that moment like when John Roberts writes a ruling and I need to figure out, is it halfway decent or absolutely terrible? I don't know. When Clarence Thomas writes it, I'm pretty confident. And we're going to go into that today to give you as much detail as is humanly possible. We're going to go into the ruling today. Let me give you the, the big news right off the top. Something that you probably knew. And everybody at the Supreme Court also knows, and everybody else that's ever looked at the Constitution also knows, but decides to lie about whenever asked if they're on the left. Here is what Clarence Thomas wrote. The constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. 
That is not how the First Amendment works when it comes to unpopular speech or the free exercise of religion. It is not how the Sixth Amendment works when it comes to a defendant's right to confront the witnesses against him. And it is not how the Second Amendment works when it comes to public carry for self-defense. New York's proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment in that it prevents law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their right to keep and bear arms. We therefore reverse the judgment of the Court of Appeals and remand the case for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. That's how I'm going to talk to my kids now. You're going to bed. It is so ordered. Clean up your rooms. It is so ordered. That feels powerful when you do it that way. This is kind of basic stuff, right? You know, the Second Amendment, there's no asterisk next to it. It doesn't say like, hey, look at all the other amendments. This one you can kind of treat differently. It's just as important as the other amendments. And yes, the left of this country is going to have to recognize that. If you don't like the Second Amendment, you can make a new amendment. And what would be the 28th? Am I right on that? 28th? You can make the 28th Amendment, and it could say, you know what? We don't like the Second Amendment anymore. You can do that if you want, but be honest about it. If you want New Zealand's laws or you want Australia's laws, that's the first step in doing it. And good luck presenting that argument to the public. This is, of course, why they don't present that argument to the public. The law in New York fundamentally was a law saying, hey, you guys come to me. I'll be the government in this scenario. You guys come to me and you tell me, justify your need for your gun. Why should we allow you to carry it around? Hmm. Is that how a right works? Isn't a right the exact opposite of that? Isn't a right something that you get whether you can justify it or not? You get the right to speak whether you're smart or not. Ask Joe Biden. You get the right to say things, whether you're right, whether you're wrong, whether you're smart, whether you're funny, whether you're stupid, whether you're sad. No matter what you are, your right comes out and says, hey, you're mine. We're together. We're a team. You get me. We're together. We're like a couple. You know, you had me at hello. That's what a right is. You don't have to justify its use. You don't have to justify its exercise. Whenever anyone asks me, well, what do you need an AR-15 for? I say, shut up. I don't have to tell you anything about that. You know why? Because it's a right. It is a right, and I don't have to justify a right. If it wasn't a right, I might have to give you a reason why I need it. But guess what? I don't. That's the way these things work. And a right is very clear, I think, when it comes to, the, uh, to, to how something like that works. You don't have to go to the government and ask about it. And Clarence Thomas kind of talks about that. Nothing in the Second Amendment's text draws a home public distinction with a respect to, uh, to the right to keep and bear arms. And the definition of bear naturally encompasses public carry. Moreover, the Second Amendment guarantees an individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation, and confrontation can surely take place outside the home. That's right. Not all crimes are home invasions. When you're out, sometimes you might have something bad happen to you, and gosh darn it, wouldn't it be nice if you could do something about that? Because the state of New York issues public carry licenses only when an applicant demonstrates a special need for self-defense, we conclude that the state's licensing regime violates the Constitution. That's one really interesting part of this in that it's not even saying you have to have a reason to get a license in New York. That's not even what they're saying. 
or what they were saying before today. What they're saying before today was you have to demonstrate a need above and beyond the average person. You have to say, I have an extraordinary need for self-defense and therefore I need to carry my weapon around. And we've talked about this before, but even Glenn Beck, a guy who had 15 death threats against him at one time, credible death threats uh, against him, even he wasn't apparently, he didn't rise to that level of extraordinary need of self-defense. If he didn't, who would? Nobody. And this was just their way of stopping people from exercising their Second Amendment rights. Uh, we therefore turn to the, whether the plain text of the Second Amendment protects uh, the two people involved in the case and their proposed course of conduct, carrying handguns publicly for self-defense. We have little difficulty concluding that it does. Respondents do not dispute this. Uh, nor could they. Nothing in the Second Amendment's text draws a home public distinction with respect to the right to keep and bear arms. And of course, that's true. Right. Remember, it's it, it, it's we always say the right to bear arms. We say that often. But it's to keep and bear arms. They specifically signal those two things out. And it seems pretty clear what they mean there. Keep is you're able to have them. You're able to have them in your home. You're able to keep them uh, on your property. Bearing them, you're not going to bear them at home unless something's going on. You're not just carrying your weapon around. And they actually, uh, Clarence Thomas actually kind of says that. He says the definition of bear naturally encompasses public carry. Most gun owners do not wear a holstered pistol at their hip in their bedroom or while sitting at the dinner table. Although individuals often keep firearms in their home at the ready for self-defense. Most do not bear them in the home beyond moments of actual confrontation. To confine the right to bear arms to the home would nullify half of the Second Amendment's operative protections. Pretty clear. The right to bear arms is a right. It is a right that is equal to your other rights. Just because you want it to not be a right is not operative here. It's not material here. It is not the type of thing that matters when analyzing the law and the Constitution. And so often the left gets caught up in this. But we really want that thing. Why can't we have that thing? I really want it. I want it now. Was it Veruca Salt? The, the, the Veruca Salt party. It was Veruca Salt, wasn't it? I don't know. I can't remember. I remember the movie. She was dressed in purple, I think. And she said, I want it now. No, maybe that was Violet. Violet was dressed in Violet. Veruca Salt was the one that was complaining all the time. That's the one I'm talking about. And she would say, I want it now. And you know what? You don't get it all the time. I want a lot of things, too. I want no income tax. But you know what? They passed the 16th Amendment, so I can't really do anything about that right now. I would like to overturn it. At some point, I do hope we overturn it. And there's no more income tax anymore. But until they do, I'm stuck paying it, no matter how much I want it now. However, quite clearly, the dissent from Justice Breyer pissed off both Thomas and Alito, who ranted at length about how idiotic it was. And it was idiotic, I have to say. And a lot of it was spent uh, talking about how bad guns are or how bad Justice Breyer perceives guns to be. And it's interesting that he feels this way. It's just not material to what we're talking about. <laughs> it's interesting because 
you can sit here and say, I think guns are bad and I want them to go away and they should go away and people shouldn't have them. Those are all points of view that I don't agree with, but points of view you're totally allowed to express. Thank you to the First Amendment. However, it doesn't necessarily make a difference. And this is the biggest problem we have with left wing Supreme Court justices. They always think their feelings are part of the story. Your feelings are not part of the story. Your opinion on whether guns are good or guns are bad are not part of the story. We can all come together and say racist language is bad. We can all come together and say anti-Semitic language is bad, but we can't get rid of it. We can't ban that speech. Why? Because we have a First Amendment that that backs that sort of speech. It backs the right for offensive speech. It says you are free to say things even when I don't like them, even when they may very well be bad for society overall. So your opinion on whether guns are good or bad for society might be interesting for you to talk about at brunch, but it is not interesting to put in a Supreme Court dissent. And what Justice Breyer decided to do was say, hey, I'm going to list all the gun crimes I can think of, and I'm going to list all the gun statistics I think support my argument. And what I'll probably do is cherry pick the ones I like. But still, I'm going to make an argument about how bad guns are. Now, in the actual opinion, in several footnotes, Clarence Thomas just goes off and says, this dissent, by the way, sucks. I mean, have you read this thing? Uh, well, I, I might give you some of that stuff on, uh, on Twitter uh, later on. If you want a full rundown of all of the interesting parts of this, go to at Stu Does America or wherever you follow me on social media. I'll try to post all of them a little bit later on tonight as we go through them. We're going to go through as many as we can today, but I want to give you Maybe the most satisfying part of this, because Clarence Thomas's opinion is really, really good, and he lays it out in a very professional way. And I feel like Samuel Alito was like, you know, this is really good, Clarence, but let me just rail against Breyer a little bit. And if you had to read one little part that was just the most satisfying part of the, uh, of the entire uh, opinion release today, it may very well be the Alito concurrence. So Alito agrees with Clarence Thomas is on board, but wanted to add a couple notes to his hearing. Let me give you, a, uh, to his opinion, let me give you a little bit of this. In light of what we have actually held, it's hard to see what legitimate purpose can possibly be served by most of the dissent's lengthy introductory section. Of course, that's by Breyer. Why, for example, does the dissent think it is relevant to recount the mass shootings that have occurred in recent years? Does the dissent think that laws like New York's prevent or deter such atrocities? Will a person bent on carrying out a mass shooting be stopped if he knows that it's illegal to carry a handgun outside the home? Hmm. And how does the dissent account for the fact that one of the mass shootings near the top of its list took place in Buffalo? And this is an insider tip for those out there following, keeping score at home. Buffalo is in New York. This law was in place there. Didn't stop that mass shooting. The New York law at issue in this case obviously did not stop that perpetrator. What is the relevance of statistics about the use of guns to commit suicide? Does the dissent think that a lot of people who possess guns in their homes will be stopped or deterred from shooting themselves if they cannot lawfully take them outside? I feel like some of the suicides out there might happen inside of homes. So that would not at all relate to this whatsoever. The dissent cites statistics about the use of guns in domestic disputes, but it does, does not explain why these statistics are relevant to the questions presented in this case. How many of the cases involving the use of a gun in a domestic dispute occur 
outside the home? And how many are prevented by laws like New York's? Alito goes on to bludgeon him more. The dissent cites statistics on children and adolescents killed by guns. But what does this have to do with the question of whether an adult who is licensed to possess a handgun may be prohibited from carrying it outside the home? Hmm. The dissent cites the large number of guns in, uh, in private hands, nearly 400 million, but it does not explain what this statistic has to do with the question of whether a person who already has the right to keep a gun in his home for self-defense is likely to be deterred from acquiring a gun by the knowledge that the gun cannot be carried outside the home. These all seem like very valid questions. And while the dissent seemingly thinks the ubiquity of guns and our country's high level of gun violence provide reasons for sustaining the New York law, the dissent appears not to understand that it is these very facts that cause law-abiding citizens to feel the need to carry a gun for self-defense in the first place. The problem, of course, here is none of this is relevant at all to what's actually going on in the court. And the court, when it's in left-wing hands, can't seem to understand that they have a job to do. And what they need to do is do their job. They don't need to, to opine about every little side issue or whether they think guns are good or bad. What does the Constitution say? What does the right of an American to own, to keep, to bear a gun, what does that entail? That is your job. Your job is not to opine on every little issue uh, in the public discourse. And over and over again, that's what the left thinks its job is. It's how we got all these fake rulings and terrible rulings over the years. Um, and this is the problem with what Breyer did here. He's not arguing about the case in front of him. He's arguing about whether guns should even exist at all, whether the Second Amendment really should give individuals a right to keep and bear arms. And that's an okay thing to argue. You can argue that if you want. I don't think it's correct, but you can argue it. However, it's already been decided by Heller. And over and over again, Breyer seems to say, look, I know we can't look at Heller again, but I still want to you know, look at Heller again. Uh, here, let me give you a couple more here from Alito's uh, concurring opinion. The real thrust of today's dissent is that guns are bad and that states and local jurisdictions should be free to restrict them essentially as they see fit. That argument was rejected in Heller. And while that, the dissent protests that it is not re-arguing Heller, that's the case from 2008, 2009, it proceeds to do just that. Today, unfortunately, many Americans have good reason to fear that they will be victimized if they are unable to protect themselves. And today... No less than in 1791, the Second Amendment guarantees their right to do so. This is a good moment for the Constitution. This is a good day for your rights. It is a little disconcerting that we have a 6-3 ruling on something as basic as this, whether you have a right to defend yourself. But it is good that we did get this one done. It's important to codify these rights when you have the opportunity to do so. This is going to make some big changes, I think, in other areas of the law. It may very well affect not just New York and the other, I think, six or seven states that have this type of bizarre uh, reasoning behind their laws. But it also will affect other things, other uh, laws that are out there and may affect your state as well. This, you know, you might not be a gun owner. You might not care. 
about uh, whether you can carry a, a firearm out in public. It may not be something you're ever interested in doing, but it is your right to do it. And today, that was codified by the Supreme Court and Clarence Thomas.